0: and teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. Once there was this young guy and he was very successful in his business, so he bought himself a wonderful Porsche and loved driving it on the weekends and roaring out into the country. And one uh, Saturday morning when he was out driving his car, he, he came up to the signal light, the last one before he could hit the country road, so he had to stop. And right next to him was a senior citizen guy on his uh, brand-new red moped. And so his windows were down, and the, the old guy looked over at this young guy and said, Hey, what you got there, sonny? And uh, the young guy said, It's Porsche. It's the fastest stock car that money could buy. And the old guy says, hey, you mind if I poke my head in there and take a look? And the, the young guy says, hey, man, knock yourself out. So the old guy slowly stuck his head in and felt the Corinthian leather and ran his hand across the, the, uh, the amazing dash and commented on his uh, amazement and how what, what a sweet machine this was. And, and he started to back out, and uh, just as uh, he was out, the, the light turned green. And the young guy thought, well, he's going to do a little showing off here. So he slammed it in the gear and popped the clutch and went roaring down the road and feeling pretty smug. He was suddenly surprised when he looked in his rearview mirror and saw a little red dot that was catching up with him. And not only did he catch up with him, it just slammed past him and twang and then roared up in front. He could hardly realize what was happening. Somebody could pass him so fast. And he thought, man... I can't believe that. In fact, I I can't believe it. I think that's that old guy on the red moped. And before that thought could get away from him, he he noticed that that red dot that was now ahead of him, even though he's traveling at quite a speed, had reversed its direction and come back the other direction and twang went by by him going the other direction. He says, sure enough, it was that old guy on that moped. And he he was so shocked that something like that could go so fast, he pulled over the side of the road and Looked in his rearview mirror, and the red dot was coming back again and changed direction. But now that he had pulled over the side of the road, he couldn't change. And bam, the, the red moped slammed into the back of his Porsche. So he jumped out, and he saw the old guy lying there. And he says, man, are you okay? He says, yeah, I'm fine. He says, uh, hey, man, you gotta, you got to tell me what in the world you got in that machine of yours. i never seen anything go so fast. And the old man got up and dusted himself off and says, oh, yeah, 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 sonny. No, no, no problem. I'll, I'll show you what I've got. But man... Uh, first, I got I, to unhook my suspenders from your side view mirror. <laughs> I don't know the last time you have been amazed at something that is of great interest to you. Now, honestly, the last time you were amazed at something that was of great interest to you. Well, that's one of the things that we want to study here because our amazement at things that interest us are a very good indicator of what we genuinely believe. What's really important to us never ceases to bring us to a point of amazement. If we think about from the standpoint, not of our hobbies, but of our spiritual interests, where are we with regard to being amazed at seeing the presence of God in the routine of our life? When was the last time in the last series of times we were amazed that God's presence in my routine was very, very special. Well, in this passage of scripture that we're going to look at today in Mark chapter 6, beginning uh, at verse 30 and following, the scriptures give to us a miracle that's going to be followed by another miracle that should capture our attention. Now, I suppose that there is a way in which many of us would look at these two miracles, the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus Christ walking on the water. And we could see those as two very separate miracles and say, well, that's That was really something what Jesus Christ was doing in those days. But I'd like for us to look at those two as a tandem, as a single lesson of Jesus Christ trying to make an impression in the lives of very special men, his apostles. In some ways, that we could look at this as a lesson for all of us guys today, that God is trying to capture our attention in the same way he was trying to capture the attention of the apostles now, you remember that in this period of time, Jesus Christ is holding the, the Pharisees at bay, trying to keep them from culminating their decision of disbelief that he is Messiah, so that he can work on the faith of the disciples and bring them up to speed. And then he'll let the, the Pharisees carry out their unbelief through his own crucifixion. So you can see this multiple complicated story. If you get that picture of what the gospel is all about, is a go from the birth to the, to the ascension of Christ and see the story unfold in these different ways, you'll be a lot further off than many, many seminary graduates who still are confused about the Gospels and the life of Jesus Christ. But if you could see Christ trying to demonstrate his power and also reveal his authority through his teaching, and then the Pharisees coming to a conclusion quietly, no, we don't believe him. We've seen his credentials, his words, and his works, but we don't believe him. So we're going we're to crucify him. But before he, they get a chance to do that, Jesus Christ holds them at arm's length before they can culminate their disbelief. And he says, uh, I'm going to hold you guys off because I've got to build up the disciples' faith to take over when I'm gone. So we're, we're in that phase here where Jesus Christ is holding the unbelief of the leaders at bay while he's trying to build up the faith of his disciples And he's having a little bit of a struggle because the disciples are a little bit thick. They just don't get it. And here in this particular passage of Scripture, we're going to have two miracles that we're going to be seeing as one lesson. Because the disciples are having a hard time seeing what in the world their faith ought to allow them to be revealed. So the Scripture tells us here that the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. This is chapter 6 of Mark, beginning at verse 30. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So we've been to teach them many things. So we have Jesus Christ here with uh, his disciples now called apostles. And this is becoming a juncture for their development of their faith. So he's going to give them a time to assess their own spiritual ministry success with him. So they're recounting to Jesus all the things that happened when they went out in Jesus' name and in his power to bring healing and uh, exorcism from demons that many of the people in population were experiencing. Now, the problem, of course, is that as they were giving this report to Jesus, they were being overwhelmed by the crowds who heard that Jesus was here, heard that the apostles are here, so they wanted to get some personal attention to themselves. They were pressing on them so much Jesus Christ, realizing that his apostles has already done an amazing amount of ministry, realizing their own personal exhaustion from ministry, takes them on a retreat. He specifies, let me take you away from here in a place of solitude so you can have a respite from all of this overwhelming demand and interest in the lives of people. That's that's not a bad thing. For us humans who have a limited capacity to withstand the overwhelming demands of people who are looking for spiritual ministry, that is a legitimate choice. Take a break so you can recharge your batteries and serve the people effectively. That's a Jesus thing. He saw it, he recognized it, and he acted upon it. So they attempt to leave the people, let's get in the boat, go to another place. And the people on the shore, they recognize that, hey, this is not that big of a lake. When you go see Israel for the first time, the sea galley is not that big. And you can see almost all the way around it from several different points. So they saw the direction of where the boat was going to go. They kind of anticipated its uh, dropping off point, and they ran on land, and they were able to get there before they landed the boat, and they met them. Now, I, I know that the proper human sense is that when we are exhausted from people, we take a break from that exhaustion, but that rest is now supplanted by more people with needs and making demands. Our natural human tendency is not what Jesus expressed. The natural human tendency is not recorded here with regard to the apostles. But the response to this overwhelming pressing demand, this unending demand of people's needs, is expressed by Jesus' response. And his disciples get to see it. So we don't get any sense of any kind of a presence of annoyance or anything that might be happening by the apostles But instead, we see that Jesus Christ is going to express his compassion. Even though he himself knows the exhaustion, the overwhelming sense of what it means to be oppressed and overwhelmed by needy people, Jesus Christ expresses compassion. Now, this is a huge lesson for us kinds of guys. And one of those things is when we have the choice to express annoyance or be driven by compassion, It becomes one of our options to make that choice. So you're going to go off today to work. You're trying to finish off the calendar year. Lots of demands. You might be working through lunch. You might be working through all your breaks. You might be working 30 minutes or an hour or a couple hours later because of the need to do what other people want you to do or what you need to do to make your company successful. So you finally get in your car, you're absolutely exhausted, you don't want to do anything with any kind of decision, you don't want to interact with any of conversation, and you drive home, they get home around 8.30 or 9 o'clock, and there's your wonderful wife and your amazing kids, and they've been looking forward to you coming home because they've got problems. And then they want you to help them with their problems. They have no clue what you've been through through the day. They really don't care what you've been through through the day because their problems are huge and you are the solution to their problem. When demands on us come at an overwhelming time when we are at the end of our rope and our reservoir is empty, we have the opportunity to remember this lesson and make a choice like Jesus would have operated if he were in our shoes. If we could ever choose compassion... When annoyance is screaming in our ears, we can, in fact, do something that only Jesus could do if we allow him to do that through us. And one of the most amazing things for us as guys is no one will ever recognize that. No one will ever give us a bonus. No one will ever give us a commendation that at that moment for our family that we love them with compassion no one's going to recognize that except for the god who gave us the power of his spirit to make it happen so this particular lesson goes on and spills over to a pretty powerful one and that's one an amazing miracle and it's that miracle where 5000 men are there crowding around jesus and wanting him to minister to them and that's just the men doesn't count the women doesn't count the children so however huge this crowd is It is an amazing gathering of people. And Jesus Christ is just serving them. And all of a sudden the disciples do one thing. The one initiative of the disciples is Jesus send them away. They're hungry and they need something to eat. Get rid of a problem that we see is looming here on the horizon that we want nothing to do with. I don't know if you ever saw this before from the standpoint of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. But really it's not a place where the apostles wanted to be. And their only contribution, let's get rid of the problem before it happens, Jesus. You have the authority, send them away. Now, Jesus Christ takes that moment, and it becomes a teachable moment. And this food solution that the disciples are suggesting that's going to become a huge problem, Jesus, give them time to get to the nearest big Burger King, because it's a long walk from here. And then Jesus Christ, realizing, of course, that this is a remote location, and the disciples realize it, even though the disciples can be commended for the initiative, he tells them, you feed the crowd. Now suddenly we have a temporary physical problem that the disciples can recognize what the problem is because they realize what the problem would become. You ever notice that very simple solution about taking care of problems? You, recognize, you realize you've got a problem, you recognize what the problem is, then you resolve it. That's a three-step plan for taking care of problems. Realize you've got a problem, uh, recognize what it is, and then resolve it. So right after our study today, I got to go home because we've got a plumbing problem. And I realized we had a plumbing problem uh, a couple weeks ago when I walked out to get ready for the day and I heard some dripping. And it wasn't just a slow drip, but it was a pretty loud splashing sound. So I thought, well, that's weird. And I, I traced the sound I went into our guest bathroom and the ceiling was dripping. Water was just coming down from the, the vent in our, in our bathroom. I thought, this is not normal. <laughs> so I realized I've got a problem here, and I thought, man, look at my watch. I've got to get ready for work. I've got to figure out what to do. But realizing you've got a problem is number one. If you, if, you, if you ignore it, then you've got even a bigger problem. So I had to finally figure out what was causing the problem. So I ran upstairs to the other bathroom, and the upstairs bathroom in our house was flooded. And uh, this wasn't happening the night before, so all night this had been occurring. And one of the, the grommets, the, one of the seals in our upstairs reservoir on top of the commode had failed. So it was spraying water all over the bathroom up there. It was good that I realized what the problem was. It was great that I could recognize uh, what, what the problem was. And now I had to come up with a resolution. So I, with my brilliant plumbing background, I was able to turn off the faucet that led the water into the reservoir and it stopped the, it didn't stop the, problem, the the leak. So now I just had to clean it all up. And, and today we're going to get the res- resolution fixed, hopefully, with a professional plumber coming in to fix that whole thing. But the, the disciples here, they realized that they had a problem a remote place. They rec- realized that in this remote place, there's no food. And all these people, thousands of people are getting hungry because Jesus keeps on talking and talking and talking and Jesus keeps on healing and healing and healing. We're, we've got a problem here. Then Jesus Christ is going to probably tell us to take care of it, so let's get rid of it. Jesus, tell them to go away because they're, gonna, they're hungry and they've got to go find some food. They were not expecting the supernatural solution. You give them something to eat. Now, it's at that particular juncture, again, you realize that these apostles are exhausted from a long time of ministry. They were giving their report to Jesus. In the middle of the report, Jesus says, hey, let's get away from the crowd, go on a retreat. Oh, yeah, we could use a break. Oh, yeah, get us away from the problems. And you ever notice that when you suddenly see in the midst of exhaustion, there's a a ray of hope that you can get some kind of rest. And all of a sudden, it's wiped out because of the same kinds of problems that you've been facing all along. And that's when our patience really is wearing thin. And that annoyance level rises very high and wants to express itself. And you can almost always recognize annoyance in our lives when we think that we are being inconvenienced, when our reaction is sarcasm. So here we have exhausted guys given a chance for a respite. Looking forward to it, realizing that respite is removed because of the same problem they've been experiencing all this long, all this time, and that's with people. And then they look for a solution to get out of it themselves, natural solution. And God says, "No, there's a supernatural thing going on here. People need what you have." Oh no, we we got a we got a problem here. We got to feed these people. Send them away, Jesus, so the problem will take care of itself. We'll solve both problems. Get rid of all these needy people and get rid of the problem that's on the horizon and that someone's got to feed them. And Jesus turns to them, no, this is something I want you to take care of. And all of a sudden they lose it and the sarcasm comes. What? It's going to take eight months' wages to feed these people. We don't have that kind of money. Now, you can imagine what it's like now to have the apostles being sarcastic with Jesus, the Son of God. Now, when was the last time you were sarcastic with God? I mean, that that speaks to the need that we have as human beings. And as guys, as men facing problems, we have to realize that sarcasm is a symptom of us thinking more of ourselves and feeling sorry for our needs than we are about how we can be a part of God taking over where I have no more energy, when I have nothing else to give, when I can be a part of serving the lives of other people. So that sarcasm is a revelation. You can put, tuck that in your, in your brain. As a, as a guy who's trying to live a life of faith, as a man of God, how often does sarcasm escape me when I'm dealing with the people whom I'm supposed to care for the most? Wouldn't it be amazing if for the next calendar year, none of us guys were ever sarcastic with our wife, with our children, with our closest friends? Wouldn't that be amazing if sarcasm suddenly eliminated itself? And really, those people who are the recipients of our sarcasm know that that's an exertion of power and authority. And they're a little bit tentative, they're a little bit afraid, so they back off. Because they know that if they don't back off, The next step after sarcasm is open, outright outrage. And they don't want to face that again. So guys, uh, this is one of those kinds of, oh, man, you don't know how tired I am. Oh, man, you don't know what I've been through. Hey, we really don't give a rip. God knows, and now he's given to us in the midst of our exhaustion an opportunity to minister to people that nobody else can in a moment of tremendous (coughs) compassion. We can actually not just grit our teeth when it comes to quenching sarcasm, but instead getting a grip on compassion in our spirit by the power of the Spirit of God to serve those who are the closest to us and realize that God is very pleased because he wants that moment to be just like it was here for the apostles. Well, this uh, stunning miracle here, the feeding of the 5,000, is pretty special. They're all under control from the standpoint of being orderly organized into groups. Uh, Prayer was key as Jesus Christ uh, goes to prayer to the Father while the disciples, the apostles, are getting the people in these organized groups. The distribution of the food that was just uh, five loaves and two fish is, is now multiplied before the eyes of the people, and the people aren't as interested in the miracle as they are in eating the food. And so they're a little distracted from this whole thing. It's amazing that all the people were fed. No one was left out. It's very much of the grammar of the scripture. So the thousands and thousands of people, no exceptions. Everyone was satisfied with regard to their meal. Just because of this small beginning, the multiplication that came afterward. That level of satisfaction shows to us that no one just got a taste, but everyone was now no longer hungry. And that's also reemphasized by the fact of how much leftover there was. It's 12 baskets of leftovers, and the crowd numbered 5,000 men, not counting the women and the children. And obviously we know that children were there first because that's where the five loaves and two fish came. Uh, They stole this little kid's lunch. He's the only one bright enough to bring along any food. And it's also the great miracle where it was Andrew, who was the apostle who brought that before the Lord. Andrew's known in Scripture as probably the leading best uh, best apostle if they were to give out awards for the leading uh, best supporting actor Andrew would have got it he did two things in his whole career he introduced peter his brother to jesus that was number 1 and number 2 he's the one that spotted the little boy with the lunch here for the feeding of the 5000 that's andrew's great contribution as an apostle here in this uh, amazing passage of scripture but when we, when we we go through this, I mean, every pastor has preached on this, and they love preaching it, and they always preach uh, God does much, and, and uh, God, God does much when there's very little in our hands. And somewhere along that theme, you've heard probably 20 or 30 sermons on it. One of the things that's almost always overlooked, and Mark emphasizes this, if we can just look at Mark and not look at the other uh, renditions from the other Gospels, Mark notices something that he leaves blank. There is no expression in th- this miracle of anybody being amazed at what happened. Have you noticed that? And all the other miracles at the end of it. Wow, What? look at that. Look what Jesus did. Man, look at look, look what happened. This is amazing. This guy stood up and walked. Oh, this guy can see again. Ah, this little girl rose from the dead. After the feeding of the 5,000, according to the Gospel of Mark, nothing. No reaction. No exuberation, no celebration, no recognition of anything exciting going on here. So Jesus Christ recognizes he's the only one. And so after this particular miracle, when no one was thrilled, none of the apostles were standing there, wow, Jesus, that was a good one. That was stunning. We're going we're to try to repeat this, Jesus. Can we try it now with uh, two fish and no bread? Uh, no one was interested. They just stood around like dummies. Now, oh, here we go again, picking up after the people. Now we've got to pick up their, their leftovers. No one was amazed about the miracle that Jesus Christ performed. The only one who recognized the absence of this exuberation was Jesus. And we know that because the very next thing he tells the disciples, okay, you guys, get in a boat. Let's, uh, you guys get out of here. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get in the boat in verse 45 and go on ahead of him. Now the language here is very powerful and it's easy to miss because Mark always uses the word immediately. But Jesus Christ immediately after that miracle was done, he sends the crowd away and he tells his disciples, you get in the boat and we'll rendezvous over here. And then Jesus Christ did the same thing he always does. When he's doing something miraculous, he goes off and he prays. So he puts the disciples now into a very special test. And that special test is now accompanied by Jesus Christ's personal time in prayer. We know that the disciples are still operating out of their natural strength because of their reaction when they see Jesus Christ walking on the water. Now, Jesus Christ and the the apostles have spent a lot of time together, and you would think that there's some intimacy here. That they know him, he knows them by name, they spend time together, He's discipling them. But they're so close and so tight that when they see Jesus Christ in a context that's new to them, they think he's a ghost. There's not a whole lot of intimacy there. So there's a a special revelation here where Jesus Christ is trying to show these disciples, I really need you guys to get to know me personally. It's not what you know in your head. It's not what you know in your assumptions. But it's on our relationship together. So that out of context, you're not shocked and surprised when you see me. But you also see that Jesus Christ is trying to elicit out of them something else. And that is a reaction. A reaction to who he is and how much power he brings into a situation. Do you see that? They did not have it in the feeding of the 5,000. They were just so overwhelmed with, oh, we got to collect all the leftovers. No one said anything about how amazed they were at the miracle. So Jesus Christ is trying to elicit out of them this kind of supernatural spiritual revelation. The fear is something when it is present, it means that faith is absent. Faith and fear are totally opposite ends of the same continuum. And if we don't realize that, that fear is a symptom of the absence of faith, we will go on for days and days without that intimacy and that joy of being amazed at the presence of Jesus in our life. So if you can think back for the last week or the last several weeks of your life, and you have not been amazed with the presence of Almighty God in your life. If you have not been amazed, but you can think, yeah, yeah, there were probably seven or eight times when I was really annoyed with people. Compassion, I don't even know the definition of the word, let alone express it. It become my motivation to help other people. We've got a serious problem among us as guys as we realize that we have not been able to see the presence of God. Maybe I can think, oh, yeah, I know a verse. Oh, yeah, I know a theology. I can, I can give a good answer. Those are natural expressions, but God here is trying to remind us of something special, reacting and responding to the presence of Almighty God, seeing Him in our life, serving people beyond our physical, natural capacity because the compassion of God through us Serves the lives of other people. Well, faith grows through these very, very troubled times, and Jesus Christ, immediately when they are starting to feel this fear on the boat, Christ is walking on the water, he orders them to be courageous. Now, when you have somebody in authority over your life, at least you can recognize that when they give us an order, they recognize that we are in trouble, that we are in a problem. When they order us, the best thing that we could ever do is at least find a way to obey. He prohibits the fear. Don't fear anymore. Don't let that be a part of how we are living our lives. And then he demonstrates the fact that he's not a ghost by climbing into the boat. Their great fear and their conclusion of their natural limitations is now assuaged by Jesus Christ climbing into the boat with them. Now here's the part that's been missing from the feeding of the 5,000. The scripture tells us they were completely amazed. And it points to the absence of a spiritual understanding that Jesus Christ is trying to build into them. He wants them to be amazed at him, but not surprised by the things he does. Because he's trying to convince them of his authority because of his power and overwhelming presence. Jesus is Christ and his presence exuded with power. Have you seen God lately in your life? I was part of a tour team, and we were leading a bunch of uh, wonderful Christians over to Israel to experience what it was like in the Holy Land, and uh, it was in, that, in the year 2007, and we, are, we were up in Tiberias by the Sea Galley, and our next journey was to take a long bus drive all the way down to the southern part of Israel to a town called Eilat, and Eilat is the great uh, re, um, a resort town for all of Israel, a lot of people travel down there for a vacation, they love to swim in the very clear water. If they scuba dive or if they like to snorkel, it's very clear. It's a destination for scuba divers for sure. Well, we were up in Tiberias. The day before we were going to drive down to Elat, we got word from our tourist guide, and they're all connected with the, with the government. He pulled us aside, a couple of us who were leading the tour, and he said, Hey, we've got a little bit of a problem uh, down in Elot. They just had a bombing at a bakery. And a couple of people were killed. And uh, we don't want to scare everybody, but we're going to have to divert our attention. And we said, sure, absolutely. And um, none of our tourists ever realized that we had a problem until they got back home and they saw on the news that there was a bombing in Elat. They said, weren't we going to go to Elat? No, no, no. It was, it was a possibility. But yeah, we decided not to go there because we had other great things we wanted to show you. And uh, so instead of going to Elat, we, uh, we went south and then we diverted west and we took them to Ashkelon, which is one of the cities where the Philistines had a town there at the, on the coast. Beautiful, beautiful beach. We hung out at the beach. We talked about uh, Goliath and how he and some of his brothers were a part of these towns. And uh, we were making up stuff as we were going along. And um, I was trying to read as fast as I could because this wasn't in our normal schedule. And uh, it's one of those kinds of times where, where God just gives you a facilitation, and I remember that. I, I wasn't prepared to give any kind of devotions on the Philistines. I was reading through the scriptures as fast as I could. As soon as I finished reading, I'd stand up and explain this to the people, and uh, we we just had a great time. And a lot, and they got a nice tan on the beach. We left a lot. I mean, Ashkelon. We left Ashkelon and made our way inland to to Jerusalem. And uh, the day when we arrived at Jerusalem. Um, our tour guide pulled us aside and said there 's been a uh, an, a rocket attack from Gaza Strip to Ashkelon, two hundred and fifty rockets they sent from Gaza Strip into Ashkelon, the town that we had just left and uh, We never told our our, our tourists that uh, that had occurred and uh, We looked at our tourist guide, the, the, those two of us who were leading the tour, and we says, "Wow, we praise the Lord that this this happened." He says, "Or, or you could just think that I'm a really good tourist guy protecting you from all this." And uh, so he was really pushing for his tip then, and uh, and but he deserved it. <laughs> we we got away from the bombing at Elat. We got away from the rocket attack at Ashkelon, and and I will never forget that overwhelming, great sense. But I saw God in that. And if you were leading a tour group and you were responsible for the lives of of 30 or 40, 50 people, you'd feel God's hand in that as well. And, and I really suggest that it's time for us as men of faith. If we're going to be men of faith, it's not what we know, but it's how we live our lives. And do we see God in all of the routine of our life? But it wasn't just 2007, but also today. I mean, just, just this, this week has been really precious for Yvonne and me as we've watched God involve himself in our life. Uh, because we just we, we were enjoying the thrill of this great announcement, and this is our this is the picture of our grandson. His name is Lucas, and then our daughter and son-in-law sent out this announcement uh, with Lucas saying, "What, what, what do you mean? I'm not going to be your only grand, your only child forever." So they announced that they're now having uh, their second child uh, due in June. So I I thank God for the tremendous privilege and the joy of of being a grandfather. What a what a thrill it is. And one of the most amazing things about it is I still remember when I was single and studying the scriptures and going through the Old Testament and realizing there is something that God is emphasizing here, and that is a vertical legacy. It's not just the people that I disciple in my, my current stream of life. God, that's important. But God, God not only wants me to disciple people in my stream of life, he wants me to reach down to the next generation and disciple my kids. My wife is my number one disciple. My kids are my next generation disciples. So I've tried to pour into my wife and my kids. But I have observed that God also in the Old Testament makes a very strong case for your children's children. But I have very little to do with that. I, I, I can't do a whole lot but pray. So every time now that we've had a grandchild, the first time we had our grandson here, Lucas, I was thrilled. I said, God, thank you for the privilege now that I can have to pray for this young life and if I can last long enough to to teach them all I can from the Bible, I will. And now God's given us the, the joy of a second grandchild coming. And I'm thrilled that down to the third generation, my children's children, I could see the hand of God giving me the privilege to touch a world that I will never live in, in that third generation beyond me. To me, that's God's presence in my life and I, I pray that no matter how tired and exhausted I am, when those grandkids come over and I can teach them anything spiritually, I will do so, no matter how tired I might be. Because I can see the presence of God in my life with that privilege. Not to be annoyed because I'm too tired. Instead, to show compassion for the life that's hungry, for truth that God has already privileged me to possess. Gentlemen, do you see the presence of God in your life? Do you ever shut it off because you're tired and exhausted and you're annoyed? Or will you allow compassion to move you and motivate you to serve the lives of the people that only you have that privilege at that moment to impact for eternity? That's how we should go in the workplace today. That's how we should retire when we go home to the families that we love. Have a great time at your table talks. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Fellowship Center of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day.